As COVID washes across America, politicians call for new lockdowns. Andrew Cuomo goes crazy after a reporter asks him about his state's incoherent policy. And election chaos 2020 continues. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Why haven't you gotten a VPN yet? Visit expressvpn.com. Slash Ben, we'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, I've been telling you for a long time, you might want to take at least a little bit of your money and diversify into gold, silver, some sort of precious metal. Why? Because it hedges against inflation and uncertainty. Hmm? Hmm? If you'd listened to me years ago, you would be a lot wealthier right now because there was a lot of uncertainty this year. I'm telling you right now, you still have to diversify. This hedges against bad decisions by politicians and inflation based on blowing the spending out the wazoo. Where should you go to buy your precious metals? You should go to my friends at Birch Gold Group. Those are the people I trust. This month, they're going to give you an extra bonus for Black Friday through November 27th. For every $5,000 purchased, Birch Gold will send you a free silver American Eagle, and there's no limit on the amount of free silver you can receive. That's a great way to teach your kids the importance of diversification. To qualify, when you text Ben to 474747, just tell the Birch Gold representative about this offer. Even if you are investing in a precious metals IRA, you still get the physical silver delivered to your door, which is pretty awesome. Text Ben to 474747, get a free information kit on diversifying into gold, and then call Birch Gold. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, ask all of your questions, get all of your answers, and then think about diversifying because everybody should be at least a little bit diversified. Text Ben to 474747 to open that precious metals IRA and get your free silver before November 27th. Alrighty, so we begin this morning with the news that now in Wayne County, we have more chaos, more election chaos. So you'll recall to recap our dramatic story. On Tuesday night, the Wayne County, Michigan Board of Canvassers voted 2-2. They deadlocked on whether to actually certify the votes in Wayne County. That includes Detroit. Overall, Wayne County is like 1.4 million voters. Okay, and there are two Republicans and two Democrats on the commission. And the Republicans were very upset because the poll books in about 70% of the various absentee counting precincts were not balanced. Well, what that means is that you signed up for the absentee ballot and then your vote actually was not tabulated in the same numbers as you signed the poll books, right? There, the number of votes recorded in the poll books at a precinct didn't match the number of tabulated votes at those precincts. So very often when you go to the precinct, they make you sign into the book and then you go and you vote. If the number of signatures does not match the number of votes, then obviously the books are out of balance, right? This is what the Republicans were worried about. Now, the numbers that the books were out of balance are not generally huge. It's not like they're out of balance by 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 votes in each precinct. No, they're, they're usually off like somewhere between one and four votes. But Republicans were very concerned about this. Now, to be fair, there were exactly the same sorts of problems in Wayne County in 2016. The votes got certified. They had the same problems a little bit earlier this year because they had a special election. The votes still got certified. The Republicans said they initially voted against certifying because they were worried about these discrepancies. And again, it is perfectly fair to audit the vote and make sure that everybody who legally voted gets counted and everybody who illegally voted does not get counted. Monica Palmer was the Republican chair of the canvassing board. She actually suggested at one point she would have certified the results if Detroit were excluded. And then, of course, this prompted concerns of racism. Now, we don't know how out of count the ballots were, the, the poll the poll books. Were they really out of balance in Detroit? Maybe that's why she mentioned Detroit. Okay, but it didn't matter. Everybody came down on her head and they suggested she was trying to disenfranchise people in Detroit, which is a heavily black city, obviously. She said she initially voted against certification based on the discrepancies at various precincts. She said, I believe we do not have complete and accurate information in the poll books. 
when the poll books are unbalanced, precincts can't be used as part of a recount before the county board reversed its decision. Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson issued a statement saying, quote, it's common for some precincts in Michigan and across the country to be out of balance by a small number of votes, especially when turnout is high. Importantly, this is not an indication any votes were improperly cast or counted. So this could mean theoretically that you did improperly cast your vote, that you actually signed the poll book and then you screwed up your ballot. It could mean that between the time you signed the poll book and the time you submitted your vote, you decide, you know what, I'm done with this. I, I really don't have time to wait for this. And you just take off. Wayne County's Board of Canvassers did not certify results in 2013 after Detroit's mayoral primary because the write-in votes for Mayor Mike Dugan hadn't been fully tabulated. That was a little bit different because the canvassing process was completed when Republicans initially did not vote to certify this, according to CBS News. Eventually, a deal was cut and uh, there was a unanimous agreement to certify those results. Okay, so originally there was a 2-2 split. Then the board reversed itself and the Republicans voted unanimously with the Democrats to certify the votes from Wayne County after a long and dragged out listening session where people basically got up and yelled at the various members of the canvassing board and told them that they needed to get on track and the Republicans came. Well, now the Republicans on the Wayne County Board of Canvassers, after having cast their vote in favor of certifying the election results, now apparently they want to rescind their votes. And now that has no legal effect as far as I'm aware. It does mean there will be lawsuits, presumably, because they have now filed affidavits suggesting that they were pressured into changing their votes in favor of certifying the election. Now, let's make something clear. Just because that board of canvassers, the the Michigan-Wayne County Board of Canvassers, did not vote to certify an election result does not mean that the state board of canvassers would not certify the election results or that the Republican legislature in Michigan was then going to turn around and vote in favor of Republican electors for President Trump. Right, there's still several steps down the road if you wished to actually reverse the results in Michigan. And again, I, I will say that you have to have outsized evidence of massive voter fraud in order to make sense of the, of the path whereby you reverse a 150,000 vote discrepancy in favor of Joe Biden. Right. Michigan was not a particularly close state. Joe Biden in the current count is up by about 150,000 votes. If you have certain precincts where the poll books are off by one or four votes, that obviously is not 150,000 votes. And simply wiping millions of votes off the, off the playing card uh, does not seem to make a lot of sense in either a uh, moral or a legal sense. Nonetheless, uh, if these board of canvassers, Republicans, were pressured into changing their vote, that is a pretty serious allegation. An affidavit signed on Wednesday evening, two GOP members of the four-member Wayne County Board of Canvassers allege they were improperly pressured into certifying the election and accused Democrats of reneging on a promise to audit the votes in Detroit. So originally, it was reported that the Republicans, in exchange for getting a state audit of the voting in Detroit, had signed on. Now they're saying, well, now you guys aren't delivering. Jonathan Kinlock, a Democrat and the board's vice chairman, told The Post it's too late for the pair to reverse course as the certified results have already been sent to the Secretary of State in accordance with state rules. And then he lashed out at Republicans. USA Today reporter Donovan Slack tweeted out a screenshot of an affidavit from Monica Palmer, the Republican chair of the committee, stating that based on allegations she made in the affidavit, she wanted to, quote, rescind my prior vote to certify Wayne County elections, as according to Ryan Saavedra over at Daily Wire. Palmer disputed the promises she was told she received from one of her Democratic canvas board colleagues, Mediaite reported. She claims contrary to what she was told on Tuesday, Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson has not pledged to conduct an audit of the county's votes to clear up the minor clerical errors found. She wrote, the Wayne County election had serious flaws which deserve investigation. I continue to ask for information to assist Wayne County voters that these elections were conducted fairly and accurately. Despite repeated requests, I have not received the requisite information and believes an additional 10 days of canvas by the State Board of Canvassers will help provide the information necessary, which suggests that she wasn't going to hold out on certifying the election result forever. She just wanted a little bit longer in order to certify the election result. Also, Monica Palmer and other Republicans, uh, they've been claiming that they were 
they were abused and berated by various people into changing their vote. William Hartman is one of the other canvassers. He is the second Republican canvasser. And he apparently also filed an affidavit. It shows that Hartman claimed he was berated, faced ridicule, and was accused of being a racist after initially voting not to certify the election results. He said, late in the evening, I was enticed to agree to certify based on the promise that a full and independent audit would take place. I would not have agreed to the certification, but for the promise of the audit. Okay, so does that have any real legal effect? It doesn't have any real legal effect. Obviously, an audit should take place, particularly because it was indeed widely reported at the time that the Democrats had agreed to do an audit. If they decided to back off the audit, that is somewhat suspicious. Does that mean that the proper remedy for this is to throw out the entire state of Michigan vote? Again, over over precincts where the poll books were out of balance by five or 10 or even 100 votes in a state with 150,000 vote discrepancy? Doesn't make a lot of sense. You need to clean up the system and make it better and make it fairer. And there should be an audit of that system. These poll books should not be out of line every four years, every two years, every single time they vote. It does provide the, the impetus for voter fraud to, to be a problem, right? You've seen this in very, very close races. In Clark County in Nevada, there's a race that's actually going to be rerun because the margin of error in that race is like 10 votes. And so there, you can certainly see how, how voter fraud would change the outcome of the election. In Michigan, where you're talking about 150,000 vote discrepancy, even if you're going to claim that the poll books were out of line, it's hard to see how that amounts to 150,000 votes magically appearing on the other side of the ledger. We'll get to more of this in just a second and give you status update in these various states. President Trump has announced that his team will be doing some sort of big press conference today talking about their path forward to victory. There are still lawsuits that are outstanding in Wisconsin, where the Trump team is seeking at least a partial recount. Uh, there is a recount that is going on in Georgia. Uh, it, it, is, it is pretty clear in Georgia that the recount is not going to amount to a Trump victory at this point. Uh, there have been extra votes that have been found. Right? There's some 5,000 extra votes that were found, most of them cut in favor of President Trump. That's not going to make up the discrepancy in the actual current vote tally as things currently stand. So there's going to have to be extraneous proof that is brought. The Kraken must be released. There needs to be extraneous proof brought now of voter fraud and voter irregularities sufficient to overcome the 12,900 vote gap between Joe Biden's count in Georgia as currently constituted and Donald Trump's vote in Georgia as currently constituted. Also, there, I haven't heard a lot about any lawsuits in Arizona. Uh, last time I checked, Arizona is in Joe Biden's column from the votes. I haven't heard about any legal action in Arizona, which is a problem for Trump because Trump needs to win, presumably, Georgia and Arizona and either Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, or Michigan in order to win the election. So even if he were able to find the evidence of voter fraud and voter irregularity in Georgia sufficient to set aside the current vote count, and even if you were to do that in Pennsylvania, where the discrepancy is 70,000 votes, or in Michigan, where it's 150,000 votes, you still need Arizona in order to do in order to win enough electoral college votes to, to shift the election. We'll get to more of this in just one second because we're now coming down to basically crunch time. We are down to the very end of the calendar. States are certifying their votes as we speak, and the legal process is indeed moving forward in real time. So if, as I say, yesterday, Sidney Powell, the president's lawyer, if you're threatening to release the Kraken, stop threatening and now release it. You'd all like to see the Kraken at this point. We've heard a lot of threats about the Kraken. Some people think it's Loch Ness Monster. Some people think it's real. Okay, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you say on Fox News. It matters what you are able to demonstrate in the court of public opinion and in the court of law. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact the best underwear you're ever going to wear. I'm talking about Tommy John's. You can shop Tommy John's Black Friday sale right now and give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list and yourself with Tommy John's men's and women's loungewear. Let me just tell you, everything I have from Tommy John is it's like the most comfortable stuff ever. First of all, their underwear are unbelievably comfortable. My wife also has Tommy John. She loves their product. I mean, they're just excellent. Plus, their loungewear is supremely comfortable. It's my Sabbath wear when I'm not in synagogue. Say goodbye to those old stained sweatpants. Tommy John loungewear is luxuriously soft, guaranteed to fit perfectly with the same level of comfort and innovation that goes into everything Tommy John makes. Plus, 
Tommy John's loungewear, pajamas, and underwear come in limited edition sets, perfect for giving, but they sell out quick. So go order right now. There is no risk with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's Black Friday sale right now. Make sure your gifts arrive by the holidays. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Ben for 20% off site-wide. Get 20% off for a limited time only at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Again, that is TommyJohn.com slash Ben. You can see the site for details. TommyJohn.com slash Ben for 20% off. You're not going to regret it. Once you go Tommy John, you're not going to go back. TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Okay, so Jim Garrity has a rundown over a national review of where things currently stand. So we already discussed the situation in Michigan. Meanwhile, in Georgia, there were at least three counties that found additional votes total. Floyd County found a bunch of votes, like 2,700 votes. Walton County found about 284 votes. And, uh, and then there was a, a third county as well that found like 2,400 votes. However, most of the counties have already completed their counts and their counts do match up to their original counts. As, as, as of last night, 78 of Georgia's 159 counties did finish their audits and recounts. 57 of the counties, the manual count exactly matched the machine count. In 21 other counties, they were within one vote of the initial count. Okay, so that is going to uh, play out. And as I say, the notion that, that because you, you found 2,700 votes in one county, this now applies to all counties, that's not correct. You have to actually individually audit each one of these counties. And I'm very much in favor of the Trump team pushing for full audit of all of these counties. I mean, it's a presidential election. It seems like we should double count these things. Like, let's just go back and let's check it again. And what's the harm? Doesn't seem like there's a big harm here. Meanwhile, in Nevada, the Trump campaign and the state Republican Party have filed another lawsuit related to the election. They contend that Joe Biden's 34,000 vote lead in the state is based on fraudulent votes. They say Trump was victorious in the election. Uh, No judge has said any vote was fraudulent. State officials did reject about 2,200 provisional ballots. They were rejected. They were not included in the count. As I mentioned, Clark County, Nevada will have one revote for a race, but that is because there was 139 ballots that had discrepancies and the margin in one county commissioner came down to 10 votes. So the discrepancies were obviously more than the margin of error in that race. Meanwhile, up in Pennsylvania, the Trump team has basically now announced that they are not alleging voter fraud in Pennsylvania. I mean, they said this in their court filings. Okay, so that's not me saying that. That's the Trump team. They're not alleging that there was voter fraud. They're alleging voter irregularity and violation of law sufficient to allow for voter fraud and then asking that the remedy be that the entire election in Pennsylvania be set aside, that is a very unlikely legal argument to win. Uh, so right now, unless Trump is able to come out with a, with a rabbit out of the hat in terms of voter fraud and voter regularity, and that means like actual, real, hard-nosed proof, uh, then these states are going to start certifying. And the deadlines begin tomorrow and they go extend through next week. So Sidney Powell's out of time. Again, we've asked her on the show, what is the Kraken? What does the Kraken constitute? Release it, and then we will all know more, right? No more of this, like, either it's there or it's not, and let's see it. Let's see it. Now is the time to show it. Okay, meanwhile, obviously, COVID is washing across the nation. We're seeing a massive uptick in cases all across the nation, and it doesn't matter if you're in a blue area or if you're in a red area. And the media are trying to turn this into a blue versus red thing because this is their favorite thing to do, right? You're starting to see people like CNN's Brianna Keeler. She's saying, well, look at this. Disproportionately, Republicans are the ones who are getting COVID. And that Chuck Grassley got COVID. That means Republicans are bad. Okay, let me just make something clear. COVID is not a moral referendum on people who get COVID. The, the Democrats' paganistic attempt to paint COVID as some sort of moral blight that only affects people who are guilty of a sin, as though this is like a biblical plague, right? It's after Moses breaks the tablet and then the plague is washing through the Jewish people, but it's only taking the people who are worshiping the golden calf. Like, 
No, that's not how any of this works. Okay, COVID is hitting everyone. COVID is hitting Italy. It is hitting Spain. It is hitting Great Britain. It is hitting Sweden. It is hitting everyone. Everyone is getting hit by COVID. And by the way, it is not about mask mandates because Germany is getting walloped right now. And Germany had a mask mandate as early as May. Okay, Italy has had mask mandates in place, getting walloped. New York has had mask mandates. And now they're closing down their schools, which we'll get to in a second. Doesn't matter. According to Brianna Keeler, the only reason that you would presumably get COVID in the first place is because you are morally benighted, because you are morally bereft. This is the narrative the media are trying to draw. And it's really gross. I mean, for a bunch of people who have suggested that Republicans don't care if people die, it wasn't Republicans who were running ads at the DNC suggesting that you'd only get COVID and die if you voted for Trump. I mean, Democrats literally brought forth a woman in Arizona who suggested that her dad, because he voted for Trump and believed in Trump, died of COVID, which is pretty egregiously immoral. Here's Brianna Keeler making the same case about Republican senators. Several senators have tested positive in recent months, disproportionately Republican. And yet this is what Dan Sullivan says. He says the Senate should be showing the American people that it's still safe to work. Well, the Senate is showing the American people something. It's showing us what doctors and medical experts have been warning us for months not to do. It is a teachable moment because it's a cautionary tale. Okay, the Senate is not a cautionary tale. Nancy Pelosi, when she gets up in the well of the Senate and she's 40 feet from anybody, has been speaking without a mask, right? Chuck Schumer has been speaking without a mask. Okay, this is, this is all nonsense. Okay, no one has an answer for COVID. How about a little bit of epistemic humility here? How about, like, seriously, a little bit of humility about the fact that nobody has a great solution for COVID except for the vaccine makers. As I'm going to tell you about in a second, it turns out that wearing a surgical mask does not actually protect you. It may protect other people. There's a good study, the only good study, really. It's the only controlled study that has been done about mask wearing. It was done by the Danish. And what they found in the Netherlands and what they found is that, in fact, wearing a mask that is not a, an N95 does not really protect you. It protects other people because if you sneeze and you sneeze into a surgical mask, it has less of a spray. But the surgical mask itself is not going to protect you if somebody else has been breathing COVID into the air for a long period of time. And yet the implication, a cloth mask, same sort of thing. And yet the implication from Brianna Keeler is that if, if somehow Chuck Grassley had been wearing a cloth mask, then he'd be totally fine right now. Follow the science means you actually have to follow the science. As we will see, people are not following the science because there seems to be a bit of a different agenda here than the science. I've been in favor of mask wearing to prevent people from conveying the, the disease to somebody else for a long time. I've been actually very consistent on this. And I've said you should wear a mask when you are in crowded. Listen to the show back in March. I said, listen, wear a mask when you're in crowded areas with others and you can't socially distance. Okay, but at no point did I suggest that, for example, a surgical mask was a guarantee that you weren't going to get this thing or that it, it was sort of a religious item that was going to, it was like a crucifix on the wall that protects you against Dracula. That is not the way this, this disease works. Okay, we're going to get to more of this in just one second. First, let us talk about a good night's sleep. So uh, I was noticing a few weeks back that my neck was really hurting in the morning. I was waking up after sleeping and my neck was really hurting. And my wife said, you know, my pillow sent you that pillow. You need to unpack it. You need to try it. And I got it out. I got my my pillow, put it in the pillowcase. My neck has been better ever since. I mean, my pillow is just a fantastic, fantastic product. Their pillows don't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want. They maintain their shape. Best of all, they are made in the USA. If you don't have a MyPillow or you know somebody who doesn't, now is the time because for a limited time, Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, is offering his premium MyPillows, that's the one that started it all, for the lowest price ever. You can get a queen-size premium MyPillow, regularly $69.98, for only $29.98. That's a $40 savings. Kings are only 
$5 more. Now is a great time to buy. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, they're the best Christmas gifts ever. In fact, I got another MyPillow just for my wife. $29.98 for a queen-size premium MyPillow. Buy now and Mike will extend his 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. Go to MyPillow.com, click on that radio listener's square. There you will find not only this great offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets, or call 800-651-1148. Use promo code DAILYWIRE. Again, that's 800-651-1148. Use promo code DAILYWIRE, or head on over to MyPillow and click on that radio listener's square to get started. Okay, so 3 million people in the United States, according to the New York Times, or rather the Washington Post, have active coronavirus infections and are potentially contagious. According to a new estimate from infectious disease experts tracking the pandemic, that number is significantly larger than the official case count that is based solely on those who have solely tested positive for the virus, right? We'll have like numbers showing 175,000 new cases in a given day, but there are a lot of people who are walking around either asymptomatic or who have not actually been tested as of yet. The vast and rapidly growing pool of coronavirus infected people poses a daunting challenge to governors and mayors in hard hit communities who are trying to arrest the surge in cases. Traditional ex- efforts such as testing, isolation of the sick, and contact tracing can be overwhelmed when a virus spreads at an exponential rate, especially when large numbers of asymptomatic people may be walking around without even knowing they are infectious. This is about 1% of the population, like every school teacher in the country or the number of truck drivers. And that, that is a lot of people who are walking around infected with COVID. And testing and tracing ain't going to get it done at this point. At this point, all you can do is use the same sort of responsible behavior we have been telling you to engage in since the beginning. Stay away from people who are vulnerable, people who are elderly. Socially distance. Wear a mask when you're in close contact, right? That is all you can do. That's it. Those are all the things. And yet the, the implication from people on the left is that not only do they have a solution, the solution is going to be holistic and it's going to involve the complete remaking of society. So let's start with the lockdown policy that is now being praised by the media. So first of all, Florida and Texas are handling this right. Florida and Texas are saying, you know what? We're not locking down because lockdowns don't work. The WHO says that lockdowns don't actually work. They, I mean, we, we have found that all that lockdowns do is they might delay the spread of the disease for a while, right? That's what happened in New York or Massachusetts. But then people are going to go out again. And when they go out again, they're going to infect each other again. And it turns out that the more you tell people not to associate with others, the less sustainable you make the lockdown plans. Right? This is why when you set rules for your kids, you set rules that are doable. You don't set rules that are undoable because then, then when, once they break the rule, they're more likely, likely to break all the rules. So if you lock everybody down, you say, you got to wear a mask at all times in your house or out of your house. People are just like, you know what? I'm not doing any of that. If you tell people, look, you can go out, you can go to work, you can go to restaurants, eat outdoors, eat in a restaurant with 50% capacity stay six feet away from other people and wear a mask when you can. That, that is a lot more doable and a lot more realistic about keeping a society open and people living their lives than we're just gonna lock down everything and close all the schools willy-nilly and all this kind of crap. So Texas and Florida have announced they're not gonna be going into any more lockdowns. The news comes as 45 out of 50 states have seen at least a 10% increase in COVID cases from the previous week. This is according to Ryan Saavedra at Daily Wire. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said in an interview there won't be any more lockdowns in the state He wants to focus on working to heal those who have COVID so they can leave the hospitals and get back to their normal routines. A spokesperson for the governor told NBC News Abbott's plan to slow the spread of the virus will rely on the data-driven hospitalization metrics used by doctors and medical experts. Renee Ezzi is a spokesperson for Abbott's office. They said as some communities experience a rise in hospitalizations, the state of Texas is working closely with local officials to quickly provide the resources needed to address these spikes and keep Texans safe. 
The state's coordination efforts go hand in hand with enforcing the existing protocols, a strategy that proved effective in slowing the spread over the summer and containing COVID-19 while allowing businesses to safely operate. The protocols work, but only if they are enforced. The reality is that COVID-19 still exists in Texas and across the globe. Texans should continue to take this virus seriously and do their part by social distancing, washing their hands and wearing a mask. These best practices, coupled with the governor's metrics to monitor COVID-19 hospitalizations and local enforcement of protocols, are key to mitigating the virus and keeping communities and our people safe. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis also dismissed the idea of locking down. He said, today, we are back down to 4,500 cases and a 7.3% positivity rate. We believe yesterday's high number was due to a large submission file and skewed the numbers for the day. The governor will, will not lock down and hurt families who can't afford to shelter in place for six weeks, especially not for a virus that has a 99.8% survival rate. I know it. Whenever you mention this, people on the left go nuts. If you mention the survival rate of COVID, their survival rate of COVID is 99.8% like for the entire population, meaning like from the time you're born till the time you die at in the United States around the age of 82. The fact is that if you are between the ages of 50 and 70, the survival rate is like 99.5%. If you are above the age of 70, then the survival rate goes down to about 94.6%. If you're below the age of 20, your survival rate is basically the whole thing, right? Virtually nobody dies under the age of 20 from COVID-19. So it's funny. We are treating this thing like the bubonic plague. We're saying it's not like the flu. It isn't like the flu. It's more deadly than the flu by probably a factor of two or maybe a factor of three is more deadly than the flu. It is it is more transmissible than the flu, like much more easily transmissible than the flu, which is why so many people are getting it and getting it easily. Okay, all of that is true. It is not like the flu. It is also not like the bubonic plague. Okay, it is not killing one third of the population or one half of the population. It is not the black plague. It is not the black death. Okay, if you get COVID, the chances that you survive are extremely high unless you have a very significant underlying condition. Okay, that, that happens to be the reality of the situation. And I'm not basing that on anecdotal evidence. I'm basing that on data. I mean, I could base it on anecdotal evidence. I know a bevy of people who have had it and recovered and been just fine. Okay, but it is worthy of note that nobody in the media ever, like there should be, they have the running ticker on the screen of how many people have died from COVID. They should have permanently on the screen at CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. They should have permanently on the screen when they discuss COVID, the differential rates of death for age groups. They should, because that is much more vital information to you than how many raw numbers of people have died of a particular disease, right? If you saw the number of people who die every year from, for example, drowning, and they just had a scrolling ticker showing the number of people who died from drowning, you'd think, wow, that's kind of a shocking number of people. Like, I can't believe that many people drown in the United States. Swimming must be incredibly dangerous. Okay, but if you show the rate of death of drowning in the United States for various age groups, you'd be like, well, I guess I could probably take my kids swimming. Okay, this does not mean you should be happy to get COVID. It doesn't mean that you should be out seeking COVID. It does mean that we should be using our brains in order to differentially assess risk based on our circumstances. That would be the rational way of going about policymaking, but we don't do rational policymaking here in the United States. Instead, we do just insane Kermit the Frog running around with our hands in the air and screaming at Miss Piggy stuff. Okay, we're going to get to that in a second because that really does sum up a lot of Democratic policy on COVID. We'll get to that momentarily. First, let us talk about life insurance. So, the reality is, if you're a responsible person, you want to make sure that, God forbid, something happens to you, your family is taken care of financially. And this is why you need to go shopping for life insurance. You need to get the life insurance. But you can't really do it well by word of mouth because how do you know you're getting the best deal? This is where Policy Genius comes in. Policy Genius combines a cutting-edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and save you money. Right now, you could save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for more than a decade, the savings really do start to add up. Here's how it works. First, Head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. 
Policy Genius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip that in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. The best part, they work for you, not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they will take care of everything for you. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot as well as Google. So if you need life insurance, head to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it is nice and quite important to get it right. Okay, so over in New York, this is how democratic policy is now being made. They're just shutting down the schools. And this is idiotic policy. I mean, full, full stop idiotic policy. According to Rebecca Jarvis, who is a reporter over at ABC Biz, she reported that New York public schools have tested more than 140,000 students and staff. They have a positivity rate of 0.23% as of Monday. 0.23%. Okay, which is like not a high percentage. Okay, we were told that if New York City hit 3%, they would shut down the schools. But what if, again, differential circumstances have differential rates of positivity? What if bars are significantly more dangerous than schools for people under the age of 10, which we know happens to be the case? This happens to be the truth. So New York public schools are going to shut down anyway. Yesterday, Bill de Blasio came out and he was like, yeah, you know, we understand that this is bad science, but I guess we're just going to do it anyway. Now, let's be clear about this. There's only one reason they're doing this. It has nothing to do with the safety of the kids. It has nothing to do with the safety of the teachers. There, there is yet to be, to my knowledge, a single instance in the United States. If somebody can fill, fill this in for me, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to correct the record. There's not a single instance in the United States that has been reported of a teacher obtaining, a, uh, obtaining COVID-19 from a student under the age of 10 and then dying from it. Not one, zero, zero. And they're shutting down schools across blue areas for kids under the age of 10, which of course makes transmission significantly more likely because now you're sending all those kids back home. Where do you think most of the disease is being transmitted? It is in close quarters, in homes, right? That is what is happening. And in intergenerational situations, because what happens when mom and dad have to go to work? Well, now seven-year-old Billy is in the house with grandma. And now you have intergenerational transmission happening. Well done, New York. It's, it's like the stupidest thing in the world. They're hurting the kids. They're hurting the parents. They're hurting the grandparents. And they're doing it really only one reason why. Because the teachers unions run New York. The teachers unions do not give two dams about the kids. They're not a union for the kids. They're not a union for the taxpayers. They're a union that gets the most that they can for the least possible work out of the teachers. This goes back years and years and years and years. Teachers unions are some of the worst institutions in American society. Not teachers. Teachers are wonderful. Teachers do incredible work. They want to help kids. Teachers unions are garbage. Teachers unions stump against the interest of taxpayers. They stump against the interests of students. It's how you ended up with rubber rooms in New York where people who couldn't be laid off because they were still in the investigatory phase thanks to union contracts of having abused kids or something. They're put in a rubber room and paid full salary on the taxpayer dime. Teachers unions undermine the ability of kids to learn. And now they undermine the abilities of schools to stay open. And everybody on the left knows this. But guess who Joe Biden is talking about appointing to his Department of Education? All the heads of the teachers unions. The Democratic Party is run on education issues by the teachers unions. They do not care about the students. They do. I mean, I rarely say that they don't care. About, that, that I rarely imply that people don't care about X. But it is very clear that the Democratic Party cares more about the support they get from the teachers unions who funnel tons of money into their coffers than they do about the interests of students. That is the only reason you shut down schools in New York right now. That is the only reason. Here was Bill de Blasio saying, nobody's happy about shutting down the schools. That's a lie. The teachers unions are super happy. The teachers unions are very clearly happy about shutting down the schools. They've been stumping for it despite all evidence to the contrary for months at this point. 
No one is happy about this decision. We all, in fact, are feeling very sad about this decision because so much good work has been put into keeping the schools opened and opening them up to begin with. Let's start there. Opening the schools when almost no other major school system in America opened, making them so safe. But we set a very clear standard and we need to stick to that standard. Okay, so he's saying pretty openly we set a standard and sure, our standard is moronic, but we're sticking to the standard. Why? Because the, the teachers unions are making too much of a fuss and they're making my life too much of a bother. This is what happens when you have a one party city in New York. New York is there is no Republican Party to speak of in New York right now. It is just a Democrat run city, which means it's a teachers union run city. Everybody knows this. Everyone. Okay, it's not even it's not even a a secret. It is an open it is an open fact of the matter. And nobody is willing to rip on the teachers unions because they're afraid they're going to offend a constituency. It's absolutely unbelievable. By the way, New York governor Andrew Cuomo. Remember, that guy just wrote a book about how well he handled COVID-19. Remember that? He wrote a whole book about American crisis where he had a ghostwriter do it for him. And then he ran around on TV, traipsing around on TV, talking about what a wonderful job he did handling COVID, even though his COVID curve looked exactly like the bad curve in the bad versus good curve. This is the moron who's appearing with his brother on national TV every night to do a comedy bit where his brother showed up with a giant Q-tip to talk about the size of his nose. This guy was hero of the Republic, Andrew Cuomo, while tens of thousands of people died in his state as he was shipping the olds back into the nursing homes with COVID. Okay, so here is Andrew Cuomo having have, after having precipitously and preemptively written a book about how wonderfully he did with COVID, announcing astronomical increases happening in New York State. Western New York, worst situation in the state of New York. In Western New York, these are the highest rates. 9.7, Dramatically higher than anywhere else. It's those areas which are astronomical compared to the rest of the state. Okay, you you know which part is not astronomical? The schools. The schools are not astronomical. He's talking about rates of 7, 8, 9% in these particular areas. Again, New York City public schools, 0.23% positivity rate. Again, they're shutting down the schools. Also, just worthy of note, Andrew Cuomo has blamed every single thing in the universe except for himself for his bad handling of COVID. All the things, right? He's He's blamed President Trump. He has blamed God. He has blamed Republicans. He has blamed the press. He has blamed everybody. Well, all of this came to a head yesterday when a Wall Street Journal reporter asked him about the school closures and Cuomo was not up on the news, right? So Cuomo immediately started firing back by suggesting the schools were not closed and he didn't know what he was talking about. And the Wall Street Journal reporter was like, well, I feel like parents are kind of confused because you're saying one thing and de Blasio is saying another. Here's Andrew Cuomo engaged in a vicious attack on the press. If Trump had done this, this would have been the story for the next 48 hours minimum. Andrew Cuomo abuses a member of the press by suggesting that uh, that member of the press is confused and terrible for asking a very straightforward question. The answer is this state is run like crap. Okay, it is run. Andrew Cuomo is a bad governor. He's a bad governor and Bill de Blasio is a bad mayor and everybody knows it. Here is Andrew Cuomo going nuts on a member of the press. What are you talking about? You're now going to override. We did it already. That's the law, an orange zone and a red zone. Follow the facts. I'm still confused. Well, then you're confused. I'm confused. And then I think I'll tell you what, Jimmy. Still, parents are still confused as well. The schools oh, in New they're York not confused. Tomorrow. You're confused. No, I think but parents read the are law. confused as well. Read the law and you won't be confused. Okay, but we're confused because what the law says is that if you get above a certain positivity rate, the schools can be shut down. But New York City and New York State were reporting different rates of positivity for New York City. Andrew Cuomo is confused 
because he has been in this running gun battle with Bill de Blasio. The two hate each other. It's been this ridiculous mutton Jeff routine for a while here. It's, it's absurd. It's absurd. But don't worry. These are the people who are following the signs. They know what to do. Ron DeSantis and, and Greg Abbott, they're the bad ones. But Andrew Cuomo, hero of the Republic. Bill de Blasio handling this thing like a champ while he's out there rallying for Joe Biden and having people paint murals on Fifth Avenue in the middle of a pandemic. Slow clap for the science right there. A lot, a lot of science following I am seeing right there. Okay, we're going to get to California in a second. Another great example of excellent governance. And then we're going to get to what is the broader agenda for a lot of the folks who are now making policy. Because it turns out that some of them are pretty openly talking about what the broader agenda is for policymaking during the COVID period. First, let's talk about a great gift that you can get for somebody these holidays. And this is a gift that's going to serve you all year long. I'm talking about Raycon wireless earbuds. We've got seamless Bluetooth pairing, a comfortable noise-isolating fit. You can start listening right away and you can keep listening for hours. The audio quality is amazing. It's comparable to what you get from other premium brands, except Raycons start at half the price. So this holiday season, get them something they can use for calls or music, for work or play at home or on the go. Or pick up a pair for yourself. Trust me, you are going to be using them every day. One of the things I love about my Raycons, they fit my ear absolutely perfectly. Unlike other one-size-fits-all options, these ones have a variety of fits. You can actually customize them to fit your ear properly. Go to buyraycon.com slash today to unlock exclusive deals up to 20% off your Raycon order. Hurry, the offer is available only for a limited time. You don't want to miss it. Head on over to buyraycon.com slash to unlock 20% off your Raycons, buyraycon.com slash Ben. You can use them for jogging. You can use them for listening to media. You can use them for phone calls. They're great. They really are. And they're not going to cost you a fortune like the other options. And they fit your ear better than the other options. Go to buyraycon.com slash Ben. That is B-U-I-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash Ben to unlock up to 20% off. Okay, in just a second, we'll get to California's policies. And then we'll get to the overall agenda here because it seems like there is a bit of an overall agenda that is now being promoted. First, if you weren't already disgusted by the legacy media, you should be. They lie about everything. They lie about the the dangerousness of COVID by suggesting that it is essentially the Black Death. They suggest it's all Trump's fault, but Andrew Cuomo is really good at his job. They suggested that Donald Trump is, ag- is actually the devil. Like, that's just plain, objective reporting. He's the devil and his supporters are racist. But Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they are the best America has to offer. If you are sick, sick and tired of the establishment media feeding you bullcrap narratives. It's time to replace your cable and your news subscriptions with Daily Wire. We have huge plans for the next four years. We are going to replace the media with your help. It starts today. Candace Owens is joining us over at Daily Wire. She'll be launching a brand new show with us early next year. We're also going to be launching an entertainment channel, a new investigative journalism team, and building partnerships with like-minded content creators like PragerU. Their entire show library is now available at dailywire.com by the end of the year. We're going to be Going after the legacy media, we're going to do it by building a huge membership base of supporters like you. We need your help to replace the garbage media that have been spoon feeding you falsity for decades on end. Right now, just to show you how serious we are, we are offering 25% off all memberships with code ELECTION over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Tomorrow is the last day you can get this deal. Sign up while you can. Members get our articles ad-free. Access to all of our live broadcasts and show library. The full three hours of the Ben Shapiro Show. Exclusive Reader's Pass content available only to Daily Wire members. If you're considering an All Access membership, you get to join us on All Access Live every night for live stream discussions with our hosts and an amazing online community. You also get not one, but two leftist tiers tumblers with your membership, as well as early, sometimes exclusive access to new Daily Wire products. So remember, that is 25% off all memberships with code ELECTION over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Replace the legacy media with us over here at Daily Wire. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so in California, they are also pursuing bad policy. So the the California policy is now that you have to mask up outside your home under a new expanded mandate. 
According to Yahoo News, California health officials issued a new mandate this week requiring residents to wear face coverings whenever they are outside their homes, with few exceptions. The expanded order announced Monday means Californians must mask up unless they are alone in a car or only with those in their household, working alone in an office or room, outdoors and staying at least six feet away from others not in their household, are obtaining a service involving their nose or face, or are actively eating or drinking so long as they maintain a physical distance. The new mandate exempts those younger than two. Younger than two. Yeah, good luck with my four-year-old son. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. These mask mandates, they are, they, are in, they are actually a mask for not really having an answer to, to all of this. The truth is, mask wearing rates in major cities, like I was in LA until very recently, everybody's wearing a mask anyway. The mask mandate is not going to change anything. It is not as though a bunch of people who are not wearing masks are going to go, oh, well, now I'm afraid the cops are going to break down the door and cite me a $100 fine. Okay, that whoever is wearing a mask is wearing a mask. Whoever is not, is not. There was a previous order, an earlier mask mandate since June. That previous order required Californians to wear face coverings in specified settings, like shopping, taking public transit, or seeking medical care. They still have not said how the new guidance will be enforced. Some cities threatened a site or fine face covering scoff laws. Many law enforcement agencies said they would instead focus on educating people not wearing masks. Okay, now the reality is, again, I'm in favor of mask wearing in close quarters. I'm not anti-mask wearing, but mask mandates have not proved to be a, a, in any way a problem solver for a wide variety of countries. Germany has a mask mandate. Italy has a mask mandate. There are mask mandates all over the world. Okay, and in many countries with a mask mandate, you can see the charts. The mask, the, the rates of COVID are here. There's a mask mandate, goes into place here. Goes like this for a while, and boop, it just spikes during the winter, just like a second wave. Right? And, and here's the reality about wearing masks. Mask wearing is good for protecting other people, apparently. Apparently, this is what we are told. Okay, and we have not a lot of evidence to disprove that at this point. But it is not true that wearing a mask is likely to protect you unless you are wearing like the finest, highest grade caliber of medical mask. This is not according to me. This is according to the New York Times. Okay, so before the New York Times checks me for reading the New York Times, this is a New York Times story. Okay, Gina Collada writing, researchers in Denmark reported on Wednesday that surgical masks did not protect the wearer against infection with the coronavirus in a large randomized clinical trial. The findings conflict with those from a number of other studies, experts said, and is not likely to alter public health recommendations in the United States. Now, when they say there are a number of other studies, no. What the other studies show is they, they take a mask and then they take an aerosol and they spray the aerosol at the mask. Okay, which is not useful. This is like saying that you did a study in ideal conditions, in ideal conditions, and the mask was somewhat more protective than if you were not wearing a mask. Well, guess what? Life is not in ideal conditions. There's a famous joke about economists, right? That economists live in sort of a fantasy world of people who don't really exist, where you have two economists on a desert island, and they're trying to figure out how to get off the desert island. And one economist turns to the other economist and says, assume a boat. Right, because they live in a world of, of theoretical construct. Okay, when it comes to mask wearing, it is a theoretical construct that everyone is going to properly fit a mask to their face and wear it properly. They actually have courses in medical school for how to properly don personal protective equipment. Random Joe over here who just picked up a cloth face mask from a street corner by the gas station, the chances that he's properly donning his mask and treating it well are very, very low. Okay, so what does that mean? doesn't mean you shouldn't wear a mask in close contact. You should, because again, if you sneeze and you're wearing a mask, as logic would suggest, your sneeze is at least somewhat more contained than it would be if you were not wearing a mask. However, the evidence suggests that for the vast majority of people, meaning nearly everybody who is wearing the same mask all day, putting it in their pocket, taking it out, putting it back on their face, messing around with their mask, that the chances that you're going to be prevented from getting COVID by wearing a mask that is not, a K, uh, that is not an N95 are actually quite low. 
The study is published in the Annals of Internal Medicine. It did not contradict growing evidence that masks can prevent transmission of the virus from the wearer to others, but the conclusion is at odds with the view that masks also protect the wearers, a position endorsed just last week by the CDC. Critics were quick to note the study's limitations. You can see how the New York Times is desperately trying to spin away from this study. It is the only mass study done in real-world conditions, and they're trying to spin away from the conclusions. Critics were quick to note the study's limitations. Among them, the design depended heavily on participants reporting their own test results and behavior at a time when both mask wearing and infection were rare in Denmark. So in other words, we're not going to trust the study because some people may have lied about how often they were wearing masks. What do you think happens in real life? You think people always tell the truth? Or you think, what, what do you think is more likely to be an accurate study of human behavior? An actual study of human behavior? Or you take a mask in a, in a lab and then you fire aerosol spray at it. Dr. Anthony Fauci of the NIAID advocates a national mask mandate, as now does Joe Biden. From early April to early June, researchers at the University of Copenhagen recruited 6,000 participants who'd been tested beforehand to make sure they didn't have COVID. Half were given surgical masks and told to wear them when leaving their homes. Others were told not to wear masks in public. About 4,800 participants completed the study. The researchers had hoped that masks would cut the infection rate by half among wearers. Instead, 42 people in the masking group, about 1.8%, got infected compared with 53 in the unmasked group, or about 2.1%. That difference is not statistically significant. Dr. Meta Kaligar, a professor of medical decision-making at University of Oslo, says the study showed, although there might be a symbolic effect, the effect of wearing a mask does not substantially reduce risk for wearers. Okay, that is obviously a, uh, a, a problematic outcome for people who are insisting that you have to wear a mask to protect yourself. Again, you want to say you have to wear a mask in close quarters to protect other people. That's okay. But let's not overestimate what it is that masks do, especially because, again, we're seeing spikes nearly everywhere. And there's this baseline assumption by people on the left that fulfill their sort of quasi-paganistic mandates to do X, Y, or Z, you won't get COVID. And that just isn't true. I know a lot of people who mask up regularly, and many of them have gotten COVID. Okay, that is it. COVID is easy to obtain, and it doesn't take but one moment of you removing your mask or of you breathing in through a mask in an area that has already been contaminated to, uh, to put you in a bad position. So try to stay outdoors if you can. Okay, so this does bring up a, a bigger question. Why is it that so many members of the left are talking about you know, these sorts of things while not even following the rules themselves? Right? We now know that in California, a state that is mandating mask wearing nearly everywhere, right? really everywhere, we now know that not only did Gavin Newsom, the governor, go to an opulent birthday dinner at the French Laundry Restaurant, he was joined by officials from the California Medical Association. So let me ask you this. Do you think that the officials at the California Medical Association, do you think those people were there because they thought it was wildly unsafe? Or do you think they were using the sort of differential risk assessment they deny to you? You're too stupid to determine when you can be in contact with other people. You're too stupid to determine whether you can have a Thanksgiving family dinner with a bunch of people under 30. You are too stupid to actually determine the course of your own life the folks at the California Medical Association will tell you when you can and cannot meet with people and get together and go to work, but they themselves will go to a restaurant and eat in close proximity indoors with Gavin Newsom. Yes, I definitely trust these people to set the standards. There's no hypocrisy here whatsoever. I, I, I'm sorry, but the, the idea that the folks in blue states know what they're doing and the folks in red states just don't know what they're doing, there's no evidence that this is the case, like whatsoever. Doesn't matter. That's the narrative Joe Biden is pushing. Remember that time where in an open debate, he said that he's not going to break down COVID cases into red states and blue states, but red states are getting especially hit hard because they're bad. He said that in a debate with President Trump. Now he's pushing that even more. Yesterday, according to the Washington Post, an emotional president-elect Joe Biden praised Republican governors and others who have bucked President Trump to endorse more stringent measures to control the spread of the coronavirus while warning Wednesday that a tough guy approach contributes to preventable deaths. 
Biden contrasted restrictions imposed by Ohio Governor Mike DeWine and a growing number of other Republican leaders with what he suggested is Trumpian negligence. He says, now you have the governor of North Dakota. You have others figuring out this is real. We've got to do something. Okay, do something is not an actual course of action. I understand that it might be the Democrat slogan, Democrats 2020, do something. It depends what the something is and whether it is well calibrated to achieve the effect that you seek. He says it's not a political statement. It's not about, you know, whether you're a tough guy or not a tough guy. It's about patriotism. If you really care about your country, what you want to do is keep your neighbors and your family safe. I agree. The question is how you keep your neighbors and your family safe and don't destroy the entire society around you. The costs of lockdowns are egregious. The unemployment rate in New York City before the pandemic was 3.4%. Today, it is in excess of 14%. Before they started any of the reopening, it was in excess of 20%. Tens of thousands of people have left New York City. Left it. And most of them are high net worth individuals who can afford to leave New York City destroying their tax base. There are actual consequences to bad policy. And just shouting mask at the sky does not mean that you are actually solving all of the problems. Now, again, I'm not saying they shouldn't wear a mask. All I'm saying is that this this reliance on mask mandates as sort of the the be all end all ignores how human behavior actually works. I have for the 1000th time I'm recommending if you're in close contact with other people, you should wear a mask to protect them, not to protect you, because the studies show it probably won't protect you unless you know what you're doing and you've perfectly fitted it to your face and you're wearing an N95. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't wear a mask. It does mean that having these jokers who are out there dining and having congressional hearings and meetings dictate to you exactly how you ought to live your life is un-American. It is un-American. That doesn't mean you can't care for other people. You should. I rely on the American people to actually take care of their own family members. And you should take COVID seriously, particularly if you're elderly and if you're vulnerable. But there seems to be something else at play here. Something else at play. And and that something else at play is the maintenance of a myth. The myth is that government can solve all your problems, that the government has answers to everything from every economic slowdown to every life and death circumstances. They don't. The government has done basically one good thing throughout this entire process. The one good thing the government did is they developed the vaccines. Okay, the government worked in, by the way, they didn't develop the vaccines. They worked in conjunction with those big evil pharmaceutical companies by offering them basically a, a low downside risk in order to develop the vaccines. I, I also happen to be of the opinion that there is a very, very solid shot that these companies would have been working on a vaccine anyway, given the fact that whoever makes the vaccine was slated to earn more money uh, than has ever been created in the history of humanity. Nonetheless, the narrative continues apace. And, uh, and of course, then you get Wolf Blitzer on CNN saying, where is Trump? The same people who were saying five seconds ago, they don't want President Trump on TV talking about COVID because he's undermining public confidence in COVID response, are now saying, where is Donald Trump? Uh, it, all, all of this is play acting k nonsense. Another 70,000 might die between now and the inauguration on January 20th. Yeah. Uh, you know, Governor Kasich, uh, we passed this awful milestone, a quarter of a million American lives lost. Uh, the president is nowhere to be seen at all. Uh, it is, in a word, given what's going on in our country right now, I, I should say uh, sort of disgraceful. Oh, well, you know, when he was doing daily press conferences, which was like not that many months ago, you were saying it was disgraceful that he was doing daily press conferences. So again, when it comes to politics and COVID, not science and COVID, politics and COVID, it's a nasty combination. We all want fewer people to die from COVID. We should all want kids to be able to go to school because the science suggests that kids should be in school. We should all want businesses to be open and we want them to reopen safely by taking all the measures they could possibly take, except if you're in the media, in which case, apparently, all you do is see this through a political prism where everything that your allies do is great and everything that people you don't like do is absolutely evil and terrible and no good and very bad. Because let's be real about this. Joe Biden doesn't have a plan. He's never had a plan. Andy Slavitt, 
who is one of Joe Biden's advisors, he has basically said that Joe Biden's plan should be to talk a lot about COVID. Seriously, that's what he writes today. He writes that in USA Today. This is the plan. This is the big plan. After we hear about Captain Science coming in and curing COVID, and how Joe Biden pledged he was going to stop COVID, right? He wasn't going to stop the economy. He wasn't going to stop everything else. He was going to stop COVID. Joe Biden, here's his plan. He apparently is going to just talk about COVID, and that's going to solve all the problems. Biden must make it a priority to use the bully pulpit, which has been essentially empty since the crisis has begun to convince Americans why they should wear masks, socially distance, and comply with testing and contact tracing. He must focus in particular on rural Americans who are Trump supporters and are resistant to any public health measures. Oh, if Joe Biden talks to a bunch of people who voted for Trump, probably that's going to solve the problem. I'm sorry, this is all, this is all silliness. Okay, so meanwhile, there's something else that has been happening. There are a lot of people who are talking about something called the Great Reset. Okay, now the Great Reset, there's two forms of, of talking about this. One is reasonable, one is not. One is a sort of conspiracy theory which says that a bunch of people get behind a closed door in a smoke-filled room, well, a vape-filled room, uh, and then proceed to discuss how to effectuate a communist takeover of all of society by using COVID as the lever. And then, th- that's a conspiracy theory. It's not real. That assumes, here, here's the thing about conspiracy theories. They all assume that human beings are competent and good at what they do. Human beings are garbage and really incompetent at what they do. Human, all of politics is veep. It is never house of cards. Nobody ever has a nefarious plan. Nobody is, ever to effectu- nobody is ever able to effectuate their nefarious plan. If you ever think that there is a smoke-filled room in which a bunch of people get together and they effectuate their master plan, it almost never happens. It is very rare, right? It takes a, con- a confluence of ridiculous circumstances and mistake-making in order for conspiracies ever to be successful. And this is not a conspiracy theory, okay? It's just out there in the open. The real discussion here is how the left uses circumstances like COVID in order to take more government power or to reshift the nature of the conversation surrounding capitalism towards something they want. And that's not a conspiracy theory. That's out in the open. And they, they have called it the Great Reset. And it's a bit of gaslighting from the media to suggest that if you say the words Great Reset, you're being conspiratorial when that term originated with people on the left, particularly at the UN, talking about the so-called Great Reset. And there are actual articles written by people like Klaus like Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, he wrote a piece October 22nd, 2020. It is literally called The Great Reset. Okay, so like this is not a myth. Okay, there is a, there's a lot of talk about people basically using every crisis in order to effectuate the political agenda that was already on the back burner for them, right? They, they already had this political agenda. They want to use this crisis as a way of wedging that political agenda through the front door. They just crisco up that door frame and they shove their political agenda through a, a mismatched door frame, right? The, the, the agenda is too big for the door frame. Doesn't matter. They're going to shove it through anyway. And this is what has been happening, at least a little bit with COVID. An indicator of this, the social justice warrior contingent is getting together today, which is really, really exciting stuff. Uh, they have decided that they are going to be holding a press conference. The squad, community activists, climate advocates, and members of Congress are rallying at the DNC. Washington, D.C. On Thursday, November 19th, a coalition of community activists, climate advocates, and newly elected members of Congress will hold a rally at the headquarters of the DNC. Oh, a rally. I thought that those were not good. It's a pandemic, right? Demanding bold action to address the COVID pandemic, the economic crisis, and accelerating climate change. The rally will push Joe Biden to appoint a corporate-free cabinet and an administration staffed with personnel committed to addressing the climate threat, as well as following through on promises made during the campaign to, quote, build back better. And this is going to include people like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Cori Bush, who's the newly elected congresswoman from Missouri, and Jamal Bowman from New York, and Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ro Khanna, Mondaire Jones, and Senator Ed Markey. So the squad is growing. And it's actually a fairly large contingent. 
That is some seven members of the House and uh, Senator Ed Markey, who are now speaking uh, in favor of basically using COVID-19 as a lever for being able to effectuate their, their favored policy positions. So how radical is the squad? Well, first of all, I mean, pretty damn radical. We already know about the Honorable Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez D. Twitch. We already know about her. But over the uh, course of the last few hours, Cori Bush, who was a Black Lives Matter activist elected to Congress in a Democratic district, Cori Bush tweeted out yesterday, it's simple, really. We want to cancel student and medical debt because we believe education and healthcare are human rights. Right, so she just wants to cancel. By the way, if you if you just declare something a right and then say there can't be debt on that basis, these are the same people who say housing is a right, so we should cancel all the mortgages. Also, you use your credit card for food. Food is a right, so we should cancel all your credit card debt. And then when we're done with that, we can ensure that nobody ever gets a loan. We can go back to trading with actual like seashells and stuff. It'll be really great. And there's a radical group of folks, obviously. And just as always, just as Rahm Emanuel suggested, let no good crisis go to waste. They're not going to let a good crisis go to waste. Justin Trudeau. Handsome Bernie Sanders up there in uh, in Canada. He suggested just the other day that COVID is an opportunity to build back better. Uh, and he used the words Great Reset, which obviously set off some of the conspiracy theorists suggesting these people are all getting together and coordinating policy. They're not. It's just that the left will never miss an opportunity to take a bad situation and try to spin it into an instrument, a blunt force instrument to ram through their agenda. Here is Justin Trudeau. Building back better means getting support to the most vulnerable while maintaining our momentum on reaching the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the SDGs. Canada is here to listen and to help. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. I mean, he sounds like Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, right? Every bad thing that happens in the world is an opportunity to reset capitalism. It's an and, and, and it doesn't matter what the crisis is. Whatever the crisis is, is the thing that requires me to do this thing I already wanted to do, right? Climate change is such an existential crisis. We have to completely remake the economy. We have to all get rid of airplanes and we have to kill all the cows and all of this sort of nonsense. And then, you know what? COVID requires us to do exactly the same sort of stuff. Incredible how this works. Okay, so there is the far left wing of the sort of great reset mentality, which suggests that COVID is an opportunity for us to remake capitalism wholesale. Then there's the sort of softer great reset mentality. And this is the stuff by Klaus Schwab. And this is the attempt to turn corporations and business and supposedly capitalistic enterprises into corporatist enterprises. Now, capitalism is a system whereby you as a producer are attempting to cater to consumers and bring them the products and services they desire. Corporatism is where you decide what you think the consumer ought to want. And then because the consumer doesn't want it, you get the government to sponsor it. You get the government to push forward the program, right? This is why what people use in sort of the, the great reset world as the example of excellent, excellent policy is Operation Warp Speed, right? They say government was able to combine with big business in order to promote an agenda that was good, not just for shareholders, but also for the world, which is why I've pointed out, you know what would have been great for Pfizer shareholders if they developed the COVID vaccine and also hadn't had to take any government money, right? That also would have been fine, right? It just made their downside risk less so they didn't have to worry so much if they didn't develop the vaccine properly. They could sink a lot of money into the development of the vaccine. I mean, what should be more of a what should be more of an indicator of the efficacy of private industry is the fact that government had to in, had to use private industry to actually make the vaccines. If government were so great at things, why didn't they just develop this thing within the NIA ID? They couldn't. They didn't have the capacity because government kind of sucks at things. Government is just a giant gun, a giant gun and a bag of money, and that is what government is. Okay, so there is this push now to basically shift corporations from serving their shareholders 
to what they call stakeholder capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism is the suggestion that corporations are supposed to take into account not just the needs of consumers and the desires of consumers, and therefore the desires of the people who hold stock and shares in their company. Companies are supposed to instead take into account all of the myriad factors in the universe. This is the beauty of stakeholder capital. Stop caring so much about your shareholders. Instead, start caring about everyone else. Now, in order to foster this particular mentality, you have to create a false dichotomy. That false dichotomy is that if you care about your shareholders and you want to make sure, make sure that your shareholders make money, this means you're going to exploit other people. Right? You're going to foist costs onto third parties. So the typical example people like to use is shareholder capitalism is you pollute the lake in order to make money for your, for your shareholders. But stakeholder capitalism is you understand there are people who live along that lake and you take their concerns into account too. Now, the reason this is stupid is because if you are a company and you actually pollute the lake, there are tort laws in the United States and everywhere else and you will be sued into the ground. So shareholder capitalism is actually not in favor of you doing things that are suable. Right? It is not in favor of you, quote unquote, defraying costs for the moment by blowing up your company two minutes from now. The very concept that shareholder capitalism and quote unquote stakeholder capitalism are in direct conflict is the idea that America and the, and the world, generally everybody's a sucker and all businesses are trying to do is scam. That is not true. If you run a company, you have to think beyond, we run a company here, you have to think beyond the next two minutes. Sure, you could, if you're a scamster, then you could theoretically make a cash grab. You could. And that happens sometimes. But to suggest that is the bulk of the American economy or the bulk of the global economy or that economic growth, which is exponential since 1800 and since the rise of the Enlightenment, that economic growth is driven by a bunch of scam artists who are basically taking short-term interest over long-term interest is just a lie. It's not true at all. Okay, but stakeholder capitalism really is a way for policymakers to suggest that corporations should do our dirty work so that we don't have to do that dirty work ourselves. Right? We should get corporations to do the things we want them to do. So, this guy, Klaus Schwab, who again writes about, uh, he wrote a book called The Great Reset, and he is the head of the World Economic Forum. He, he writes, in the immediate months that followed the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, the world as we knew it was turned upside down. Like most people, I was constrained to observing the situation from inside my home and the World Economic Forum's empty offices, and I relied on video calls to know how others were doing. Since those early moments of the crisis, it has been hard to be optimistic about the prospect of a brighter global future. The only immediate upside, perhaps, was the drop in greenhouse gas emissions, which brought slight temporary relief to the planet's atmosphere. Okay, like if that's how you see things that like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dying, nobody has a job. But hey, we brought down the global gas emissions. Good, good stuff happening there, right? Uh, okay. Shouldn't have come as a surprise that many started to wonder, says Klaus Schwab, will governments, businesses, and other influential stakeholders truly change their ways for the better after this? Or will we go back to business as usual? So I have a question. Um, did big business cause the outbreak of COVID-19? Or is big business solving the outbreak of COVID-19? Did Big Pharma start this? Or was your was government inability to actually control this thing part of the problem in the first place? Was it a Chinese communist tyranny that released this thing on an unsuspecting world responsible for this? Or is this really an opportunity to remake capitalism? I feel like these two things are unrelated. And yet, for people who are into the Great Reset mentality, it's obviously a chance for them to do all the things they've wanted to do. Right now is your opportunity. It's like it's it, it's like your free day from in, in some sort of paganistic religions, there is a, there's this idea that you sort of have a free day from, from want, worry, and, uh, and, and answerability. You can sin at will for like one day. It's like the purge. Okay, so basically this is that, right? COVID is an opportunity to do all the things we've always wanted to do, but couldn't get anybody to agree to in the first place. 
Looking at the news headlines about layoffs, bankruptcies, and the many mistakes made in the emergency response to this crisis, anyone may have been inclined to give a pessimistic answer, says Klaus Schwab. Indeed, the bad news related to COVID-19 came on top of the enormous economic, environmental, social, and political challenges we were already facing before the pandemic. Okay, let me just make clear. The economy in the United States was at record highs. We were lowering greenhouse gas emissions in the United States thanks to fracking. The environment was getting better in the United States, not worse. Okay, like... This is just myth-making. With every passing year, these issues, as many people have experienced directly, seem to get worse, not better. That's just a lie. It's not, it's not true. Global prosperity has been going up year on year for decades on end. It is also true there are no easy ways out of this vicious cycle, even though the mechanisms that to do so lie at our fingertips, says Klaus Schwab. Every day, we invent new technologies that could make our lives better and the planet's health better. Free markets, trade and competition create so much wealth that in theory, they could make everyone better off if there was the will to do so. But that is not the reality we live in today. Again, this is just myth-making. Shareholder capitalism, right, designed at profit, designed and making sure that people get the products and services they want and need, has made people all over the world wealthier. Since 1980, 80% of the world has been lifted from abject poverty because of all of this, because of free trade and capitalism and all the things he is saying don't make everybody richer. He says technological advances often take place in a monopolized economy and are used to prioritize one company's profits over societal progress. The same economic system that created so much prosperity in the golden age of American capitalism in the 50s and 60s is now creating inequality and climate change. Again, this is just a lie. It's not true. The economic system of the 50s and 60s, okay, it created prosperity, but also Europe had been completely wrecked since the 1940s because of World War II. In fact, globally, much more prosperity was created from 1980 to 2000 than, than was created in the 1950s and 60s. I mean, look at the living standards in the United States. Look at life expectancy in the United States. Okay, but the idea here is that we have to redo everything. So what should we do? We should model everything on the Operation Warp Speed COVID response, basically where government leverages the power of the free markets to do things the government wants. Government top-down control. That's the answer. That's the answer. He says... Rather than chasing short-term profits or narrow self-interest, companies could pursue the well-being of all people on the entire planet. Now, here's where you get into really dicey and ugly territory. Who decides what the well-being of the entire planet looks like? Seriously, they, all policy is trade-off. All policy is trade-off. What does the well-being of the entire... Who decides? Who's dictator of the world? Who decides what the well-being of the entire planet looks like? So, for example, let's say that you have an economic program that raises prosperity all around the world, but also increases greenhouse gases. What does the prosperity of the world look like? Which one do you pick? This is a pretty serious question because that is the question of carbon emissions, right? Carbon is a significantly more powerful source of energy than any of the alternatives that have been provided. And if you decide to put heavy environmental restrictions on the use of carbon, that mostly hurts people at the bottom end of the economic spectrum. But according to Klaus Schwab, just like all technocrats, he believes that there is one simple answer to this question and that he has it. He can dictate what is best for the world and then companies should do what Klaus Schwab wants. This is how you get to stakeholder capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism says that Klaus Schwab should have something to say about companies in which he bears no risk, has no skin in the game, does not bear the downside risk of the company going broke and putting all of its employees out of work. Now, the basic idea of the free market is Mandeville's idea of the bees, is that because there are so many people who want so many different things, diversity of marketplaces, competition, this drives down prices, it creates innovation, and it creates better stuff for everybody. Technocrats, intelligent people for all of time have thought that if they could just grab the levers of the economy, they could do all the things that they wanted. They could shift shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. And the only stakeholder who really matters is somebody like Klaus Schwab. This is the great reset. We are going to redo everything in the model that I want. And we're going to grab the power of somebody else in order to do it. 
He says this does not require a 180 degree turn. Corporations don't have to stop pursuing profits for their shareholders. They only need to shift to a longer term perspective on their organization and its mission. Oh, but you know what a corporation needs. You know what their long term interest should be. Not the person who runs the corporation and hires people. You know what we here at Daily Wire need to think about 10 years from now. You do. You don't know anybody who works here. You don't know how the company works. You don't know any of the family members. You don't know our financial situation, but you know what's best for the world. Therefore, we should think about what Klaus Schwab wants. He says they should look beyond the next quarter or fiscal year to the next decade and generation. Some are already doing so. Building a virtuous economic system is not a utopian ideal. Most people, including business leaders, investors, and community leaders, have a similar attitude about their role in the world and the lives of others. Most people want to do good and believe that doing so will ultimately benefit everybody, including a company's shareholders. But what's been missing in in recent decades, here it is, is a clear compass to guide those in leading positions in our society and economy. There we go. There we go. So he acknowledges people don't want to actively do bad. They actually don't want to take into account just short-term interests at the expense of long-term interests. They want to build for the future, but they need guides, wise guides, wise guides like Klaus Schwab. And COVID is an opportunity for us to leverage those companies into doing exactly what we want. And now what corporations have been doing in response to this is they've been kind of paying lip service to stakeholder capitalism. They've been saying, yes, yes, that's a great idea. We will be more virtuous and we will be more kind and we will be more generous. Just leave us alone. Just please leave us alone. And government's like, oh, okay, we'll leave you. Also, we need you to do X, Y, and Z. Why do you think corporations have been bullied into wokeness? Why do you think they've been bullied into undermining their fundamental core tenets? Because they've been playing at this game. Now, just a few months ago was the anniversary of a very famous essay by Milton Friedman talking about shareholder capitalism. It came under severe fire, that essay, because how dare people pay attention to their shareholders instead? We should pay attention to these stakeholders. But here's the reality. You have the capacity to answer to your shareholders. It makes you answerable. Metrics have to be delivered. Your shareholders are thinking long-term. Most people are not day traders. Most people invest in a company because they want long-term interest in their company to hold. Okay, but what these folks want is a social responsibility answerable to government actors. They want the government to run this stuff. Okay, corporatism is tricky. There's a great piece over at National Review back in August by Andrew Stutterford talking about this. Corporatism, where you have the government basically telling people what to do, it's tricky. He said, as it has taken different forms over the years, some more benign than others, all of the forms are based on the belief society should be organized by and for its principal interest groups. Let's call them stakeholders, intermediated by, ultimately subordinated to the state. The individual doesn't get a look-in, but to the management of large corporations, it is an opportunity as well as a threat because a lot of the power that is taken from shareholders will end up with those who, to whom they unwisely entrusted their funds, right? So there are a lot of corporate heads who are very into stakeholder capitalism. Why? Because let's say you run a corporation and let's say you're crappy at your job. All you have to do is point to the stakeholders for your lack of success. So let's say you're an oil company executive and you have decided that you're going to waste a bunch of money on windmills. Your shareholders might be like, that's a waste of money. Why would you do that? You say, ah, but I'm thinking of people who are not the shareholders. I'm thinking of people who don't have skin in the game. See, the beauty of capitalism, the beauty of markets is that it puts skin in the game. If you are going to have a say in a system, you're supposed to invest in the system. What so many people have been declaring in the Great Reset is that you ought not have a stake in the system in order to be able to direct how the system works. Okay, Klaus Schwab says, we remain far from our goal of achieving a better global economic system for all. Okay, again, this is a complete misread. You see it on the right as well as the left, this idea that the economic system can be shaped from without to the benefit of all. That is not how economic systems work. And whenever you have a top-down centralized source of all knowledge, you end up with a worse 
less effective, and more unfair system than diffuse bases of knowledge that form a capitalist system. Capitalism is about the acknowledgement that there are many individuals in a society, they are all the best understand they, they all have the best understanding of their own particular interests, and that when you aggregate all of those interests, what you end up with is a better answer, the wisdom of crowds, you end up with a better answer than one guy at the top who knows better than everybody else. Okay, but this is something that the global elitists do not understand and do not like. They wish to run this thing. They're all very much in favor of somebody being at the top so long as the person at the top is them. According to Klaus Schwab, great reset guy, the stakeholder capitalism metrics are just one of many initiatives that are needed to get to such an outcome. Time is quickly running out. In a world where pessimism is increasingly the order of the day and narrow and short-term self-interest is still alluring, initiatives like these demonstrate a more inclusive and sustainable model is possible. Okay, now understand that that, that's that quote-unquote sustainable model that stakeholder capitalism model, that's going to bleed over very quickly into Justin Trudeau running the show. It's going to bleed over very quickly into the Honorable Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez running the show because, of course, she is the voice of the stakeholders. See, government can always claim to be the voice of the stakeholders because that's everybody in society, and you vote, right? But corporations are, by nature, only small entities in a vast sea of stakeholders, and so you're going to have more people from outside a corporation controlling the future of a corporation than inside. So what is the Great Reset? The Great Reset is not some sort of conspiratorial backroom deal. The Great Reset is just an attempt by members of the political left to grab control of things they do not own and leverage those things on behalf of their own interests. That's all it is. And they will continue to do this. This will not be the first or last time that you see the Great Reset. You're going to see it with regard to climate change. You're going to see it with regard to COVID. And you'll see it whenever the next crisis appears on the horizon. And if there is no crisis, they will simply manufacture the crisis for the future. It is that simple. That's what the Great Reset is. And we should all be afraid of it because anybody who declares that they know what's best for the globe and then tries to grab the power to effectuate it is somebody who should scare the living daylights out of you. All right, we'll be here later today for two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Our associate producers are Nick Sheehan and Rebecca Doyle. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental. And that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 